John August is a screenwriter. He wrote Doug Liman's Go, starring Sarah Polly, Tay Diggs, and Timothy Oliphant, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. And he has written a lot of Tim Burton's movies, including Big Fish and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. His new podcast, Launch from Wondery, is a six-episode series about the creative and business decisions that went into his first novel, a middle-grade book called Arlo Finch and the Valley of Fire that Macmillan's Roaring Brook Press is publishing this week. The Launch podcast is a process story like Startup, and at a time when franchises are so important in entertainment, it's a really candid look into how the book, podcast, and film worlds are connected to each other. John August, I really appreciate you talking to me. Listen, I usually talk about just the stuff, just the subject of the actual interview. But in your case, I'm, I've been such a fan of the film Go for such a long time. I I would be remiss if we didn't talk about that a little bit first. Happy to. That was your first film. Was that the first screenplay you wrote or just the first one that became that became a, a, a movie? It's the first one that shot. So I'd written probably three scripts before that, um, some just on my own, some for other people. But Go was the first thing that got made. And in many ways, it was like my first book in the sense of like it was a brand new experience. I just didn't know how any of it worked. And for people who haven't seen it, just describe briefly what that's about. It's a, like a Christmas Eve drug story. Yeah, so it's, it's three overlapping stories that take place at sort of Christmas time here in Los Angeles. So the first one follows um, a very tiny drug deal um, that a young woman is trying to pull off. Second one involves some guys in Las Vegas. The third one involves the other side of part one. And uh, it's these intersecting stories. And so it's a thing I'd been hoping to write for quite a long time. I got it written and uh, was really happy to get made. One thing you say in the podcast that I, I think I probably knew intuitively but had never actually thought about is that you've written a lot more films than have actually been produced. That's true. I think I've been lucky to have 11 or 12 movies made, um, but that's off of more than 50 scripts. And so some of those scripts I was paid for, I went through you know a year's worth of work on, um, and they're they're done, but they're just sitting on a shelf. They are not being made. And that's, my batting average is actually pretty high as a screenwriter in terms of the work I've done to the work that's made to the screen. But one of the frustrations is you can spend a tremendous amount of your time and not have a finished thing to show for it. So was that part of the motivation of wanting to write a, a book is that you, you knew that it would be published or that you had some control over, over the publication? Absolutely. So, I mean, movies are, you know, they're written, there's screenplay, but that screenplay is really just a blueprint for making that final movie. And so I wanted to write the thing that was actually the thing for a change. A lot of the movies I've done, so Big Fish or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, they're adaptations of books. And uh, I was, I've loved the process of turning those books into a movie. This time I just wanted to, to write the thing itself, though. And so I wanted to focus on, you know, what is the story like just on the page? You've cut across genres, I guess Go would be like a comedic thriller, mm -hmm. hipster comedy. Mm -hmm. And then you've done a lot of these Tim Burton um, films. This book is not like either of those. How, have you morphed to the opportunities or have your tastes changed? Or how, how would you describe sort of how you've gone from point A to point B? Well, I've always said my favorite genre of movie is movies that get made. 
And so <laughs> I'll, I'll happily uh, write whatever it is that I can do that can actually make it to the screen. So when it came time to write a book, uh, I wanted to write the book that I sort of most wanted to read. And the time that I was the, the biggest reader of my life was definitely what we call middle grade. So eight years old to 12 years old. That's the time where I just like, couldn't uh, not be reading a book. And so this was a chance to sort of go back to that, that place, that sort of pure place where you are just on an adventure in your mind with these characters. Uh, you know, I, I ended up reading a lot of middle grade fiction over the years and not sort of knowing what category it was. And once I had someone very smart explain sort of what the nature of middle grade fiction was, it's like, ah, so all this stuff that I've been sort of banking for, you know, 40 years, that is, you know, what I'm really I'm meant to write is this a middle grade book. And middle grade is the age right below YA? Exactly. So, you know, the most helpful way to think about it sometimes is Harry Potter, which everyone's read. Harry Potter is middle grade for the first four books. And then it sort of progresses into YA on books five, six, and seven as Harry grows up. But those first books, those are really classically middle grade. That's where, you know, you have a kid who's about the age of the reader who's going on an adventure. He's got some friends, um, but it's... PG to PG-13. Uh, it doesn't get into any sort of more serious stuff than that. So were you just reading a lot of things in, in that age range just as you picked them up? Or did you have kids in that age as you started reading those? Well, my daughter started reading those books. And so my daughter read all of the Harry Potters, the Percy Jacksons, the Magnus Chases. Um, she was a giant reader. And so it got me to sort of rediscover, oh, that's right. There's a huge world here. Um, also, I think... That space had changed a lot over the last you know, 10, 20 years in that when I was reading those books, you know, when that age, I was reading Hardy Boys, Three Investigators, and they were great, but they were all episodic. They didn't have a continuation from this book to that book. Uh, after Harry Potter, these books became sagas. They became ongoing you know, series, and the characters really did grow and change. There's just a much more attention to the progress of characters over time. And so once I saw what was possible to do in middle grade, it's like, oh, you know what? I think that's that's where the opportunity is. And so during this time over these last several years writing films, you've also been doing a podcast about films. Mm -hmm. Did that sort of move forward into launch or did the idea for launch come from somewhere else? Yeah, for the last six years, I've been doing a podcast, a weekly podcast about screenwriting called Script Notes. And so on that, me and my host, co-host Craig Mason, we talk through, you know, things that are interesting to screenwriters. So movies, writing, uh, sort of related issues. Uh, that's a very classic just chat show. So it's like the Slate Gab Fest shows where every week we're talking through a couple issues, answering some listener questions and going on to the next thing. And that's been great. And that's been, the, you know, a great chance to sort of build a community. We do live shows. It's a really fun thing for people who are into screenwriting. Um, but I also was very cognizant of the other kinds of podcasts out there. And so I was a huge fan of the Planet Money series, Story of a T-Shirt, that follows the story of how a T-Shirt goes from cotton growing into a field to factories to, to print it and uh, finally out to customers so they can buy it. Um, I love that. I love Startup, which is about the birth of this podcasting company. And uh, I just, I knew I wanted to try that kind of narrative series podcasting. And uh, this felt like the right opportunity. Have your movies been like 
those podcasts. I don't, I don't, I don't think of you as at least the movies of yours that I've seen as being sort of processy type movies that get buried into this subculture of the way things work. No, I would say that most of the movies I've been doing, they're they're kind of big Hollywood blockbustery kinds of things. Um, but I did do one indie film, which I wrote and directed myself, called The Nines, which stars Ryan Reynolds and Melissa McCarthy. And that movie, both you know the, con- the content of the movie and the context of the movie, really is kind of about movies, and especially that kind of Sundancey movie, like what it's like to make that movie that's not appealing to a wide audience. And so... You know, I went in making that movie mostly to explore how do I tell this kind of story and what is the nature of, you know, the indie film world. So I, I'm always kind of a a tinkerer, a spelunker, an explorer. I always like, oh, I wonder what's over there, and uh, I will find a reason to go over there and, and and try it out. I love those kinds of stories. I've never thought about whether it was because they were involving a subculture, an unfamiliar subculture, or if it was because they were about process, if it was about sort of the beginning and the middle and the end of actually doing something, what, what do you think, what, what is it that appeals to you? Well, I think most of the movies I end up writing, most of the stories I end up telling are about a character who sort of goes on a journey and enters a world that he or she is just not used to. And, you know, that's all alien and new to me. And uh, that's part of the reason why I'm sort of attracted to those stories because like, I'm really curious like what's around that bend and so in some cases that's process like I, I just I'll be fascinated by how something works and I'll I'll have to create something so I can actually explore it an example would be Kickstarter like I find Kickstarter fascinating as a cultural phenomenon and so uh, three years ago I did my first Kickstarter I did this thing called writer emergency pack which was a, a deck of cards designed for writers when they sort of get stuck and I wanted to make the thing, but I also wanted to explore how Kickstarter works. And so that was a great experience in seeing sort of how every little bit of it fits together, how outside websites have a huge influence, how you, you know, print, pack and ship. We had ended up sending out 8,000 of these decks of cards and uh, how you do that. I love, you know, exploring that kind of stuff. The book that you wrote while you were starting on this, had you decided to do a podcast before you knew what the book was going to be? I mean, where where in the early sort of thinking about it stage did you start? The book came first. So um, it's, the whole genesis started on as a conversation I had with a middle grade author named Kenneth Opal. And he had written a book that I'd been sent to see if I wanted to adapt it into a movie. And so he and I had a really good phone call where we talked about his book, but we also talked about middle grade books overall. And it was on that sort of 45 minute phone call that I first had the inkling, okay, this is, you know, this idea I have is probably a book. Uh, That night I started writing it. And really by the next morning, I also decided, you know what, I need to start documenting all the conversations I have about this so that I have tape. Because I'm feeling like I know I have a thousand questions. If I got those questions on tape, that could be really interesting because if I'm asking these questions, I bet a bunch of other people are asking these questions and to have a show that could really dive into it would be great. So I didn't know exactly what form a podcast it would be, but I gathered probably a hundred hours of tape um, before I started pitching the idea of, okay, it's a podcast, it's called Launch, it's six episodes, and it will track the process of this book leading up to the launch and shortly thereafter. I think podcasts are an interesting medium for something like this because it's 
it's something you can do yourself. So mm-hmm. it doesn't require cameras and lights and, uh, you know, a lot of things that require other people to be involved or that are expensive. Uh, you just have to figure out how to, you know, tape your phone calls and get decent audio. Mm-hmm. But then on the experience side, it's a very immersive you know, people listen with headphones or they listen in their car and often by themselves. What did you think anything about sort of the way those two things fit together as far as telling that kind of story and the way people listen to that kind of story? I think there's a very good match between um, podcasts and how books work and that they're both like a very private form of communication. Like you're just having a conversation directly with the reader or the listener. It's not it's not kind of broadcast in the way that TV is broadcast or even radio is broadcast. Um, it's a very private sort of conversation you're having with the person who's encountering whatever you're doing. Um, so I was really familiar with the, like, let's do a weekly podcast form of it all. And to do a show like mine or like yours, it's a pretty close to real time, you know, experience. So if Craig and I are having, you know, a, a 90 minute Skype conversation that cuts down to an hour long show and there's not a lot more to do. What I wasn't really ready for the, with launch until we started getting into it was how difficult it would be to actually structure those stories and really write everything. So every episode of launch begins as this incredibly long, confusing Google Doc, um, which I shared between me and my producers as we're trying to figure out of the tape we have, how do we structure the stories and how am I going to do the narration to fit all this together? So. That part of the process was so much more time consuming than I ever would have guessed. It gave me a tremendous you know, amount of appreciation for the folks who were doing this week after week. I think one thing you notice the more podcasts you listen to is that it's much more of a, a medium or a platform than it is a style. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more of these I listen to, the more different ways of, of doing them I see. Do you see it? continuing to evolve in that direction and sort of becoming more like TV where there's very well-defined deep categories of, you know, fiction versus these startup launch type Mm -hmm. podcasts versus, you know, all these other different, you know, chat shows and review shows and all these different things sort of becoming more of their own. I definitely feel like you know podcasting is a medium, not a genre. And so I think because the early examples of, of podcast were seemed so similar, I think we had an idea of like what a podcast was supposed to be. But really, it's a means of distribution for uh, any kind of audio content that is designed to be let, listened to mostly by one person privately. So it's not a, a big group, you know, broadcast out thing. Um, I think it allows for very sort of direct communication between you know, a creator and a listener. Um, I also think it has a fascinating real-time quality to it. And part of the reason why I wanted to structure launch the way we did, so the first four episodes come out before the book, the last two episodes come out after the book, is that this way um, people have some skin in the game emotionally in terms of like, how does the book do? Like, you know, are they curious how it's going to, to come out? Uh, do they want to see me while I'm out on my book tour? Um, you know, They have some emotional investment in it just because They've hopefully listened to these four episodes and um, are really curious to see it succeed. Now, there have been some podcasts uh, that are in the process right now of being adapted uh, uh, to, to, to TV series or, or films. But I, mm-hmm. ha- have the studios 
really gotten very involved yet in, in the idea of taking a script and adapting it as a podcast? I mean, have you taken some of your scripts that you've written in the past that haven't been produced and thought this might actually make an, a, a, a scripted narrative podcast? Um, I haven't gone through any of my old stuff to try to think about it as a podcast. And I haven't really done any sort of narrative work for podcasts yet. But there is one idea that I've had, which I think partly because of the launch experience, I've realized like, oh, you know what? This would be actually a fascinating you know, way to explore this material. It's something that I'd originally envisioned as a stage piece and uh, could actually work really nicely as you know, a narrative audio piece. So it's something I'm considering down the road. I think, you know, the, the the medium is still nascent enough that it's it's not quite clear what things are going to be worth your time or energy, but I think you can make something really fascinating. And this is a thing that I would, you know, next year or two, I would definitely consider. Did it occur to you at all as you were working on the the book and the podcast that the the book doing really well might not necessarily be a good thing for the podcast and, and vice versa? You need some conflict. You need some problems to overcome for <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how it all goes. You know, it's uh, as this episode comes out, the book will have been out for a day. So we won't have a sense at that point how the book is doing. Um, I think if the book tanks, uh, sure, maybe <laughs> there, maybe there's a good episode of me sort of picking up the pieces of my life. Um, if the book does well, though, I think that's good for the podcast, too. I think it's um, it's always fascinating to see how people struggle with success. Um, I think Startup was a great example of that in that, you know, the company that... It, um, Alex built, you know, grew to this big thing, but it sort of overgrew um, what he was actually really able to manage. And that's a real, you know, it's a, it's a high quality problem to have. So we'll see what happens. Did you find particular points in publishing that you thought were were particularly similar or, or particularly divergent from the way a, a, a film works from from getting a script into a film? What I found really fascinating is, so I've, obviously I've made movies, I've made some television shows, I've did a Broadway musical, and now I've done a book. And in all those circumstances, there are some real similarities. There's your initial vision, there's what you sort of come into it with, there's the recognition of the gatekeepers, that there's always a limited number of people who you have to impress. And you need to only get one of those people on board, but you got to get one of those people on board really strongly. So in the case of Arlo Finch, there are, you know, five major publishers uh, in the world or really in the U.S. in terms of a book who could, people who could print this book. And uh, you got to get one. And so that process of um, trying to appeal to those gatekeepers and within those companies, the specific people who are going to be your champions, that's very similar to how it works in Hollywood, how it works for um, both movies and for TV, and especially for Broadway, where there's, you know, three families that basically control all the Broadway theaters. So it was great to have had that experience before and also recognize, I don't know exactly how all this is going to work, but it's going to be working in a, in a pattern similar that, to what I've seen before and that there are um, very smart, very um, knowledgeable people whose job it is to make these decisions along the way. And you're actually writing three books in this series, which would mean you're probably already well into the second one at this point. Absolutely. So I turned in the, the second book right before the holidays. And so once I'm back from uh, my two-week book tour, I have you know, a couple weeks to go through the notes and submit it again. So uh, it's a real challenge. Like you know, you know, doing the first book seems comparatively easy now because I I I had the luxury of time. 
uh, now I have a book a year. And so there's a very set schedule for how this all has to work. Have you continued recording? I mean, are you thinking about doing more with, with audio down the road? So right now, uh, as we're recording this, I'm taping episode four, episode five is finds me out on the road. So it's basically what's happened out in the field. So it's a much rawer kind of experience. Uh, and episode six is basically looking at what's happened so far and what's up next. So we're talking about a Q&A episode. Uh, there's definitely people who I'm keeping following up with to see sort of where they're at. There were a lot of other authors I talked to who had books coming out about the same time. So we'll be tracking them, but I'm not quite sure what form those episodes are going to take. And are you looking as a journalist at using Launch to look at some other process or some other thing you're interested in? You know, one of the things I first pitched about Launch when I sold it as a show is that this first season is about me launching this book, but a second season could be about someone launching something else. And so whether that's me doing another project or someone else who's an interesting creator doing his or her new thing, I think that... Um, the general idea behind launch is like, what is the process of getting something from an idea to the market? And uh, that could be following anything. So uh, I, I don't know what the second season would be, but I think there's some really good possibilities. And Startup did the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. Startup tracked itself becoming a podcast company. And then the second episode was about, a, or the second season rather, was about a different company. And now it's going to be a TV series for uh, for ABC. Absolutely. So there's precedent for doing it that way. I mean, I loved the first season of Startup and I fell off a little bit over time. And I think some of it is you do identify with the characters. And so a Startup show that wasn't about him was different. So if it is the second season of launch, I think you got to find somebody who's really fascinating to follow and see what their, their process is really like. You talk some in the second episode about escaping the, the, the gravity of, of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you want a book like your book to be more like, or, or more unlike Harry Potter from a business standpoint, from a, from a marketing standpoint? Um, that's a great question. I think I, it's great to be compared to Harry Potter in all the ways that's helpful. So that in terms of like, it just makes people understand like, oh, what kind of general book it is. Um, but you can be compared so closely that everyone's just like, well, it's not as good as Harry Potter or like, oh, it's just trying to be Harry Potter. And that is really, I think, the danger where you're only seen as, you know, a knockoff that you're not seen as your own original thing. And uh, there's it's hard to say what's more helpful. Um it de being compared to Harry Potter opens some doors, but it also shuts some. And so hopefully people will uh, ultimately pick up the book and it, enjoy it on it, their own terms. So you would have had a couple of approaches on selling the film rights. You could have tried to pre-sell it before you knew how the book was going to turn out and have a deal. Or you could wait and see whether the book is a hit and potentially have a much more lucrative deal. What, what, what was your thinking? What did you decide to do? Well, usually I'd be the person who would be sent this kind of book to adapt. And so if I had decided to sell the rights, um, you know, they would have probably come back to me saying, like, hey, why don't you adapt it? And that would probably be a good idea, except I didn't want to be thinking about how to adapt the book while I was still trying to write the series. So that was my sort of number one fear. The second thing is, I, you know, as we talked about at the start of the show, most scripts that get written don't get made. And so I didn't want to be in a situation where um, I've written these books and now I've written the script and 
I've written another thing that just doesn't get made. So uh, I'm totally up for the idea of making an Arlo Finch movie or a limited series or some other way of using Arlo Finch, but really kind of only in success of the book in the sense that I'll do it if it really makes sense to make uh, the show, but I won't try to do it if it's not clear that I'm going to have the, you know, the velocity it would take to actually get that thing to make. So you haven't sold the rights to the book. I've held I've held on to everything so far. So I've had really good conversations with smart folks who want to make the movie, uh, but at this point, I've said no. So do you want to adapt it when it comes time to talk about that, or do you want someone else to adapt it? I think I want to adapt it myself. I I know from experience that you know as I try to work with other screenwriters, uh, there becomes a frustration of just like just let me do it, and so I feel like I would have a hard time. Let it go of some of those decisions. Well, there's a lot of cross currents between, uh, you know, film, TV, books, podcasts. This is a, I think, a launch is a, a really interesting glimpse uh, into that, and it's. I'm looking forward to to hearing the rest of the episodes. Great, thank you.